0: Well, thank you for making your way to Sturgeon Bay Community Church this morning. I'm Pastor Shannon, and what I want to do this morning is challenge us again to be a people who are at peace. During our fall kickoff, we're going to spend six to eight weeks looking at how we can be a people who are genuinely at peace with ourselves, at peace with our God, and at peace with our fellow human beings. And so in our culture today, we would define peace simply as being the absence of inner strife. Now, the presence of strife and inner strife seems to be evident throughout our culture and our world. We see it in the fact that there's so many people struggling with, with depression on their own or with guilt on their own or holding grudges or animosity on their own. On their own. We also see it in the way that our, um, our public discourse has become so uh, hostile over the last generation, I would say, with the, the protests and the anger. And we would see it in the way violence and wars have broken out all around our nation and, and, and we see it in school shootings and the hatred that we have of football teams and baseball teams where you can 't sometimes you go to to, to to the game and you see people fighting over this. just just stop stop there 's so much of a lack of peace, this inner strife has manifested itself into every part of our culture. Jesus had this to say um, throughout Scripture. He, he taught, well, let me, let me rephrase this. <laughs> Jesus' apostles and teachers had this to say throughout Scripture. Paul said this to the church in Philippi. He said, "'Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus.'" Last week as we began this subject, we looked at three particular areas, and we'll move on from that today, but let's go back and look just to catch those of you up who may not have been here. First of all, Scripture calls the people of God to be a people at peace. And really the, these scriptures we looked at are talking about yourself, an inner peace, an inner calm of being at peace and recognizing who you are and what makes you who you are, being the people of Jesus Christ, being called by God, known by God, being called sons and daughters, being forgiven, and understanding that that 's a forgiveness we can extend to others. That first part of peace says that you are the people of God, and you should be a people at peace, and then secondly. Scripture declares that through Jesus Christ, we're able to be at peace with God and at peace with other people. So there's an inner peace that extends into now we're at peace with our God and able to be at peace with the people around us. And then we moved over to look at what James had to say in the scripture, which employs some illustrations of just how powerful speech is at making or breaking peace. We would all uh, pretty quickly understand that the words of our mouth drive the peacemaking or peace breaking process. Pretty, pretty easy to see. Most of the things that get us in trouble are not our actions, but our words, and words that define actions or lead to actions. So, James, as he was talking to the early church there in Jerusalem, had about five to 7,000 congregants. And as it turns out, the very first church was not only large, but they had the same problems we have today, where our speech was leading to divisions. James had this to say to that early church. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong in the same way the tongue is a small thing that makes great speeches so what james had illustrated in his writing to that early church and by by proxy to us right is that rudder's bits and fires can all turn the course of conversations and behaviors illustratively have we looked at that last week we brought up this idea of rudders and huge ships can be controlled by a disproportionately small rudder right And how the fact that a bit in a horse's mouth can turn this this thousands of pounds animal back and forth uh, to go where you want it to go to get work done you need to get done or to transport you if you so choose. And fires always seem to get people moving. And we use that illustration of things like uh, get people fired up or get a fire lit under them. And so we talk about the fact that the tongue can be a motivator just like fire can. So James was getting across to the people then the same thing that we would want to get across today. So as we closed in prayer last week we had three areas of prayer. Now at Surgeon Bay Community Church what we're doing during this at peace series we end our service time with an opportunity for congregational prayer. In other words, we're inviting you to pray as well aloud. Proudly, uttering words for God, leading this congregation together in prayer so that we, the people of Jesus, are lifting our voices simultaneously and not just a pastor or a selected person, as it were, up on stage. So we prayed together last week, which we'll do again today, but here's the things we prayed for. We asked God um, to, to help us as people find peace with one another, That praying for peace among humanity. Secondly, uh, we, we asked that God would uh, have peace, uh, that we could have peace with God himself and other people around us, that we, Sturgeon Bay Community Church, would be a people known for that peace. And then we closed our prayer time recognizing that words have tremendous influence on peace. So we as a church wanted to make sure that we went through the week using peaceful words, recognizing where our words can be divisive, divisive, and choose to use words that are peaceful and uniting instead. So that was our prayer last week. As we begin this week, I want to introduce you to a verse that we're going to say aloud a, a couple of times during our time today and ask you to be thinking about throughout the course of the week. And it goes like this it's from the book of Psalms, it's David speaking. And let's all say this together. David said, May the words of my. No, we're all going to do it together. You ready? Here we go. You ready? may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David was getting across something really crucial in his writing and in his singing at this point. Um, And and what what he did is he said, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what I would encourage you to think about is this. The words that we speak betray, illustrate, define to everyone around us the real state of our heart. And God who knows you from the heart, not just the actions, but the heart, that God knows who you are even before you speak words or even before you behave, because out of the heart springs who you really are. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at it in the context of what we call cause and effect. And that's the wrong slide. I'm sorry. I made a much nicer slide. There it is. Yay. Okay. So we're going to look at it in three particular ways. We're going to talk about soil and harvest. We're going to talk about the well and the bucket. And we're going to talk about the heart and the mouth. So these will be the three areas. If you're a note taker, these will be our cause and effect Uh, things that we're going to be looking at today as we discuss it. I'd like to start off with a verse from Jesus himself. As he was speaking um, to the crowds, he was actually confronting the religious leaders of his day um, regarding the hypocrisy. They were saying one thing, but they were really living another one. You knew who they really were. And so they're super corrupt people. So when corrupt people say nice things, all of us kind of have an expression that looks something like this. Mm, mm, eh, mm. Yeah, you're a U.S. Congress person. I'm kind of looking at you, going, yeah, mm, eh. yeah, a lot of doubt, a lot of skepticism. I'm not really sure. Because everything that you're about is kind of not what you're saying. So I know your, your words are not really consistent with what you're going to do behind closed doors or how what you really think. And we feel that way about some people sometimes, not all congressmen, you understand. But, but we kind of have that feeling about people when they're not genuine. So here's what Jesus had to say uh, to the Pharisees who are most certainly not genuine. He said, how can those who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. That's just the way we are. It's the way we live. What we store up, what we treasure, eventually will be the things that we draw on to act on. Does that make sense? Okay, let me give you an illustration. I think this was helpful in the first service. Um, How many of you may have around your house? Um, a little box that you keep. Maybe it's a trunk, but you keep your little treasures in it. The things you always want to remember, the things you want to keep. Maybe it's a picture book or some trinkets or things you want to hand down to ground, grandkids or something. Anybody have little boxes like that? Maybe it's a footlocker. or something from your wedding Things like that. Okay. So um, in, in my house, I, I have two of these. And I kind of learned at an early age to keep these little, these little things, these little treasures that tell a story and help me remember them. So I want to share one with you um, that's kind of neat. When I was a kid, I'm going to guess I'm six or seven as best I could remember, mom. Um, there was, my mom sits on the front row, so she checks me if I'm right or wrong. But I think I was six or seven when this happened. Um, My friends were out and they were all playing baseball and they're throwing baseballs around and catching them with gloves and all these sorts of things. And I did not have one of these items, but I knew that my dad did because my dad was a good Southern Baptist and played, you know, softball all the time. So I, I went and I, and I did not ask, but I got dad's softball glove. Okay. And I went out and we threw ball with my friends. And since I'm a six or seven year old boy, what do you suppose happened to that baseball glove as soon as I was done with that little task? I left it in the grass. At the time, we lived in South Florida. What happens in the middle of the day every day in South Florida? Yeah, don't you love when your baseball glove gets rained on? My dad did too. Yeah, boy, it was great. And so what my father decided to do on that day, though, is rather than punish me, he was going to discipline me, right? How many parents out there immediately understand the difference between punishing And disciplining, you see, Dad decided it's time to discipline Shannon. So here's what he did: he came outside and he was spitting mad. I'm not I'm not going to break that down at all. He was not a happy camper, and so he took me and he put me in the Plymouth Fury (laughs) and drove me down to Sears. All right, you guys remember Sears? Okay, if you were on the edge of poverty in the deep South, Sears is where you did everything, right? So anyway, we go to Sears and um, and Dad takes me over to the area where they have the baseball gloves. Now at the time I'm thinking, am I going to get beat with this glove? Am I going to be buried with this soon? You know, how's this going to do? I have to eat it? You know, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But, (laughs) Dad gets me this baseball glove. And you'll remember, he got some saddle soap at the same time. And so we went home, and here's what dad made me do. He made me take that saddle soap and clean my glove and his and, and rub it all down and put it all in there and treat the glove. And then he made me put a wet sock, I think it was, on my hand and stick it in the glove and, and wear it around for a while. I think I slept with it, if I remember correctly. And the whole idea was, he was telling me, I want you to learn to take care of something. I want you to learn the value of things, son. I want you to take the things that you have and treat them well, steward them well, because it'll always be there if you treat it right. Now, I like to think, and I think most of the people who would know me would say, I take pretty serious care of the things that I have. Matter of fact, I like to make old things new again, because I can't stand to see when things weren't taken care of. My whole life, I like to think, was shaped by my father's determination to discipline me rather than punish me over the softball glove. What do you think is in my little treasure chest down in the basement today? It's still there. It looks brand new because Will never got to use it, right? But it's, it's, it's perfect. And that glove is still there. And I've taken it out and I've told Madeline and Will about that story you know, and, 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 and I teach them that that's what's there. Now listen, it's a treasure that I store up and keep so that from time to time, I pull that treasure out and remember it. What is Jesus's point? Jesus's point is the things that you store up and treasure in your heart are the things that you will draw from when you're under pressure when it's time for an illustration, I don't know if you're a preacher, maybe when it's time to discipline your children, maybe when it's time to discipline yourself in the way that you live and act, the things that you store up inside of you are the things that you will draw from and express or say or do to others. Are you, are you hearing me? Are you hearing what Jesus is saying? A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, or an evil person produces evil things from the treasury Of an evil heart. So, this is what he means by treasure, and these are treasure principles. But let's take a look at this in the context of. of the three things that we were going to do with regards to cause and effect. So I told you we would start with soil and the harvest, the well in the bucket, then the heart in the mouth. Let me start with a story um, regarding soil. Now, I'm drawing this um, from Dr. Mary Kaysen's book um, called uh, Conversation Peace. I think this came out initially in 1979 or so, and it's so good. They just keep redoing it and modifying it. Um, And it's kind of driving part of our sermon series and many of your life groups, as a matter of fact, during this season. Let me share you a story from Dr. Case, and it goes like this. The lush green rice fields planted around Farmer He's brick and tile home paint a a picture-perfect scene typical of China's tranquil countryside. What cannot be seen and is difficult to fathom, however, heavy metals pollute the soil underneath this tranquil scene shangba the village where mr he lives was nicknamed china's village of death it is one of hundreds of china's china's cancer villages small communities sitting near industrial chemical or pharmaceutical plants and factories where cancer rates have soared the presumed source of the pollution for shangba is the daobishan mine located 10 miles upstream the mine was once Asia's largest source of copper and zinc. During rainy seasons, rusty water from the mine's tailing pond rushes over the dam, into the river, and onto the fields like Mr. He's. As a result, the cropland is heavily polluted. It produces, it, its produce contains dangerous levels of copper, zinc, cadmium, lead, and arsenic. Mr. and Mrs. He have both been diagnosed with cancer, as has his brother, The he's are worried about the future of their farm. They're even more worried about the well-being of their young daughter who plays in the fields and eats eats its produce every day. The quality of the soil impacts the quality of the produce. There is a cause and effect relationship because, you see, contaminated soil can only produce contaminated produce. Hey, contaminated soil can only produce contaminated produce. If you live in a place with contaminated soil, no matter what you plant, what you can be sure of is that what grows up will itself be contaminated. If your heart, if your spirit is full of meanness and wickedness and unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and grudges and hatred and racism, classism, sexism, and all the isms, if you think that way, if that's what you feed on, the the soil of your life will become contaminated. And what will come out of you will be contaminated produce. Brothers and sisters, what we must be filling ourselves with are the things of God. In Philippians 4, 8 through 9, Paul has this to say. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is right, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is admirable, If anything, be excellent. If anything, be worthy of praise. Think on these things. Paul is telling the people in in, in Philippi, fill your mind, fill your heart, cultivate your soil with those things so that the produce of you is a produce of peace. Paul's promise to them is that if you will see the things that you've heard and seen and known and observed in me and do likewise, the God of peace will dwell with you. Paul's promise is very clear. What we fill ourselves with is what we will be to the people around us because great soil produces great harvests. Anybody ever grow a garden? What happens if you've got full of clay soil that doesn't have any any good loom to it, doesn't have any good nitrogen, doesn't have any good fertilizing to it? What if it's dead, unhealthy soil? How good a tomato are you going to grow? It just stands to reason. Now, we're lucky out at Souther Ranch. I can plant anything in our ground, and it will just explode. It's amazing. I'm really grateful. But we've got a little problem there. See, it was a horse pasture and a cherry orchard for about 50 years. So I can't drink the water from our well because you test the water from our well and it's like, whoa, no. You can bathe in that water. You can wash in that water. Don't drink that water. That has way too much arsenate, and too much lead in your water because for so many years, that's what they put in the soil. Now, it'll grow all kinds of good stuff and our produce is okay, but the water down below, you're seeing things have filtered all the way down and that's what's in our water. Now, let me ask you this. We talk a lot about, about the soil, Producing well, but Scripture also speaks about wells, and so an illustration that my grandfather used to use so often—I heard it many times growing up as a kid—he would make the comment that "what's in the well comes up in the bucket," which sounds in Mississippi like "what in the well come up in the bucket." So, what he was saying all the time to us grandkids, and I'm sure a thousand times to my mom, and my my aunts and uncles and cousins, "What's in your heart? What's in your life? What's in your mind?" Is what's gonna come out. That's just the facts. In Scripture, it says the fact that a well cannot produce both salt water and fresh. It will be one or the other. If we look to the church at Laodicea in the in the book of Revelation, when it condemns that church, and he's saying, "I wish that you either were fresh water, cool water, or warm contaminated water. I wish you were one or the other, but because you're in the middle, it." Blah. There's nothing special about you. As it turned out, the the city that was north of Laodicea and the city that was south, the Sardis, and I forgot the other city. But each of these cities were known for something. In Sardis were the hot springs. And this hot mineral water was something people wanted to bathe in because it had special qualities because it was hot in mineral water. And the other city that was south of them had cold, cold spring water that was just as clear and as sweet as you would ever hope for. And they were different types of water. But if you put them together, there's, just, there's nothing special about it anymore. And for the Christian, this was the message. Jesus was saying to the church in Laodicea, or Laodicea, however you like to say it, Jesus was saying this, listen. You're not special anymore. You're not cool, sweet, and refreshing. You're not warm and invigorating and mineral laden and therapeutic. You're neither. You're just blah, you're just like everything else around you. You're no longer special. Christians, if we're not filling ourselves with a fire and a passion for Jesus Christ, if we're not studying scripture and what it teaches and filling our mind with the true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, admirable, and praiseworthy things of Philippians that Paul challenged us, if we're not doing that, you're not special anymore. And what's drawn up out of the well is just blah, blah. But the other point that's so clear about my grandfather's illustration is that it has an effect on everyone else around you. What you draw out of the well engages everyone else around you. Now, how many of you understand the meaning of this this phrase? Take a look. Okay, there seems to be those times when there's a lot of pregnant people around, mostly women as it turns out. And so there, there's these moments where you'll be in a group and there's four or five pregnant ladies together and somebody <laughs> has to make that little comment, right? Oh, must be something in the water. <laughs> yeah, don't want to eat where you're eating. Yeah, Don't hang out with them. You might contract pregnancy. You know? So th- this whole idea, we kid around, but we understand there's a basis of truth in it, right? must be something in the water. If everybody's getting sick from the water, you might want to try some uh, (laughs) Avion. May I recommend Fiji? If everybody in your neighborhood's getting sick from the water that you're drinking, uh, it could be the well is contaminated. If everybody around you is constantly angry and spiteful and bitter and arguing it might be you that's bringing negativity and spitefulness and bitterness into the conversation and into the culture. It's in the well, and it's coming up in the bucket. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, as the face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Proverbs four, twenty-three: Solomon is speaking to Lemuel, his son, and he says, son, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs twenty-three, seven in King James is the only way to read this verse, by the way. It says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. It's just not as neat in any other translation, right? As a person thinks in their heart, so are they. Recently I had to I had to confess to to our staff and to our leadership that I had become I had become a complainer, I had become bitter, my words had become biting and critical, and that's 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 no way to be, that's no way to lead, that's no way to live. And 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 confessing that to them, I'm saying, listen, I will not do that anymore because I've allowed frustration and and bitterness and irritation to, to fill me. And that's what's coming out in my words. Now, if pastors have that happen to them, is it only reasonable to assume that everyone else might be susceptible to such a danger? Might it be that when James was speaking to the church in Jerusalem and he was talking about the rudders and the bits and the fires, and he's saying the words that you use can set the course and they can change the course, and if you find that everyone around you is always angry, everyone around you is always spiteful, always gossiping, always bitter, always complaining, always negative, might it be that your tongue is just as guilty as being the fire that stokes that kind of wildfire, the bit that turns the animal conversation that way, the rudder that steers you into controversy and into turmoil and into turbulence. Brothers and sisters, this is what James was speaking about. It's what Paul is speaking about. And the fundamental lesson is that there is a mouth and heart connection that each and every one of us need to recognize. Now, if you've ever read, I've lost control of my machine over here. So if you could Whatever we need to do, but reset it back there, Nathan. I don't know what happened. Let me jump to another illustration, real quick. Um, Shakespeare has a, a phrase, it's a pretty interesting one. I'll try it again. Hey, it's just your presence, dude. Look at that. Just the very presence, the technology was like, we'll get straight. Shakespeare, thanks, Charlie. Shakespeare and Nathan, thank you for getting that right. Shakespeare has a phrase, uh, a turn of phrase that he used. And and he said that um, as a a bell and a clapper is his illustration, that the, the bell itself is the heart and the clapper gives voice to the heart. So the clapper gives voice to the bell. How many of you would agree that the words that come out of our mouths demonstrate the condition of our heart? So imagine a bell, if you would. Imagine that it's kind of like the shape of a heart, but if we turn it upside down, it looks more like a heart. But imagine the shape of a heart, and imagine that there's this bell, but there's no clapper. It's muted. Does the bell express anything? The bell by itself can only express when it's activated by the clapper. The heart expresses when it's activated by the tongue. So think for a second. If the sound of the bell is articulated... By the clapper, the condition and the sound of your heart is activated by your tongue when we speak. So what we really are becomes clear to everyone else for miles around, as it were, by the words of our mouth. Now, this bell, they, they tell me this is, this is called the, the Moby Dick Special. Apparently, this bell can be heard from a mile away. I don't know because I haven't tested it. I just got it this morning. But uh, if we were to test it, I imagine a mile away, how far do your words travel? How far do the words of our mouth and the influence of the words that we use travel from our source? And the source from which it travels is our heart. So the heart-mouth connection is enormous and it cannot be overplayed. Mark 7, verses 1 through 23, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, Jesus is going to be clarifying with his disciples the difference between uh, clean hearts and hard hearts. And Jesus in this passage um, is going to be engaging with Pharisees and and kind of delivering something of a message or a parable. And then he comes back and he clears it up with his disciples what he was saying. And here's how it sounds in Mark chapter 7, um, as it is recorded, verses 1 um, through 23. The Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unceremonially washed hands. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they gave their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping with the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they had washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep likewise, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, and dining couches through ritual. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with unceremonially clean hands? Jesus answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. Summoning the crowd, I'm jumping down to verse 14 for a second. Summoning the crowd, Jesus told them, listen to me. All of you listen and understand. Nothing goes into a person from the outside that can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defiles him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. And Jesus told them, Are you also lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outset can defile you? For it doesn't go into the heart, but into the stomach, and is eliminated." And then he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts and sexual immoralities and thieves and murders, adulteries, greed, evil, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile the person. Jesus is saying there's a connection between the heart and the mouth. I like to refer to that as a root connection there's always a root cause for behavior. And how often is it that we react to seek, uh, I'm sorry, how often do we react to and seek to correct behaviors while failing to engage the cause? You see, the way we behave comes from somewhere. There's always a cause and effect. There's always a root to the behavior of our conduct. If you see a child continues to act a particular way and constantly punish the behavior without disciplining the root cause, the behavior will perpetuate anyone, right? See, what Billy Souther knew about Shannon at age six or seven is that if I just got a whooping for taking his his glove and leaving it outside in the South Florida rain and the grass, that that I probably wouldn't do that again for days. <laughs> but but if he if he disciplined me and taught me a lesson, then the rest of my life I'm not likely to do that again. And that's the case. I simply don't do that. I don't really leave tools out anymore because to me the discipline is take care of the things that are important to you. So if we constantly see anger in kids' behaviors, if we constantly see mistreatment of other people in somebody's behavior, if we see biting negative words, you could discipline the be- I'm sorry, you could punish the behavior. Oh, you're fired, you're out, we don't trust you anymore, we're not inviting you anymore, you're not my friend, I'm unfriending you. You're 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 grounded. You could do that or you can stop to say, hmm, I wonder what the root behind that is, and how do we discipline the root rather than simply punish the behavior? So in order to get to that, I have a series of questions that we want to look at this morning. It'll kind of be how we prepare to close. And the questions want to ask, where does the behavior come from? And so as we look at the root causes of some behaviors, Let's be brave enough to find out in the cogs and wheels of the mind, what is the why behind the behavior, Christian brothers and sisters? First of all, am I surrounding myself with, sorry, I missed a T, the right kinds of people? Am I surrounding myself with the right kinds of people? I had a good friend when we were living in Texas before we moved up here. His name was Mike. And uh, Mike and I were pretty close friends. But I noticed over, over a, a series of months, Mike started to get angry He started to constantly just be on edge, just kind of raspy, you know, just kind of prickly whenever you're around him, always quick to get mad, quick to yell at people, kind of like road rage all the time, right? And it was constant. And finally, I got to the point where I was like, hey, dude what is going on with you? Why are you always so? And he started off on this, this explanation of how he was so mad at the press and the president and the Congress and, and politics and this, that. And it was this whole political explosion all of a sudden. And I went, so, okay, well, here's what I found out. In Mike's house all day long, he had news channels playing. And when he wasn't listening to news channels at home, he was listening to talk radio. Not that talk radio in itself or news in itself is bad, but Mike just became this uber angry political voice. Uh, And and I I said, dude, you got to get some of that out of your brain. This is the second question. Are the influences from media appropriate for a Jesus follower? You're filling yourself with anxiety and anger and all the bitterness all the time. It's me against them and we and they and us and those and my people and those people and all those people are bad like this. Like, oh my gosh, just stop it. But don't we do that? But what else might we be filling our minds with that are not consistent with Christian living? The third question, were my parents good role models? Did your parents nail it and get it right all the time? If you're perpetuating what you saw in your parents, it could be that some of the same results are coming out in your kids. Are they always good? Sometimes no. Have you ever said this to your daughter? Uh, Who who are that boy's parents? (laughs) If if your daughter wants to go out with, you know, Johnny Joe Johnson, I hope that's nobody's real name here. That'd be awkward. Uh, But you know something about the Joe Johnson family, you know? they're moonshiners. You know, I, don't, I don't know, whatever it is they do. But you're kind of like, I'm not sure I want my daughter dating Johnny Joe Johnson because I don't know where that goes. Or, or, or these kids, I don't want my kids hanging out with this group of influencers because the, the, this is how they behave and it eventually becomes you. If, you, if, if your parents were, were quick to criticize, quick to quick to put you down, quick to use guilt to discipline and to parent, Rather, rather than to love you through and to teach you and discipline through. Maybe your parents were always heavy-handed and the boot or the paddle was always there fast. And you start to do that in your own children's lives and you start to see the same destructive behavior perpetuating. There's a root behind that. Another question would be, am I being overly sensitive, selfish, or prideful? If you're always offended, always hurt by people's words, it's not their fault. It's you. If every room you walk in smells like poo, it's you. Remember? (laughs) If you're constantly offended by everybody else's words and everybody's just so mean, no, it's you being overly sensitive. Might people work on their words? Of course. But if it's every time, The influencers in your life are causing you. The root there is a root of selfishness or pride or a wounded spirit or being overly sensitive. Listen, think the best of people, hope the best of people, hear the best of people, and that's what you'll hear from them. Another one says, have I not stored up enough good in my heart? Am I filling myself, like my friend Mike had done, with so much political negativity and divisiveness that that's what comes out of my life is divisiveness and negativity? And finally, are my circumstances simply unhealthy? Have you ever been in a job that is just draining and demoralizing and destructive? Every part of it is just a negative and a downer? Hey, welcome to the free United States of America. A lot of times, if it's that bad, you can make a plan to go do something else. If you find that all of the friends around you are constantly dragging you down, this is the reason, this is the root. So these are the questions we must be constantly asking ourselves. What do I need to do to change the root? And sometimes it means you have to invest in a boss, invest in a spouse, invest in a friend, invest in a neighbor, invest in your relationships and your own behavior to bring good treasure so that eventually that's what we can harvest. These are the illustrations that Jesus, that Solomon, that Paul, that David were using throughout the the scriptures to teach us this matter of cause and effect. If we, the people of Sturgeon Bay Community Church, the called children of Jesus Christ, are going to be a people of peace, and we need to be able to say these words and let's say them together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God can redeem the most negative spirit. God can redeem the most guilty conscience. And this process begins with filling our hearts and then using the words of our mouth to bring peace So as we go into our time of congregational prayer this morning, here is where I would like to challenge us to be praying. Number one, and by the way, I'll open, and then the floor is yours. I would encourage uh, those of you who are so called to to pray aloud, please, for all of us. The first of those prayers we would invite is asking God for pure hearts for his people. The second prayer we're looking for today is asking God to help us commit ourselves to cultivating healthy hearts thoughts. And thirdly, God, may we as your people please you. So let's go into a time of prayer. I will open it. As the music plays, I encourage you to pray aloud, and then I'll close us in, in just a moment. So let's do that together as God's people. Lord Jesus, I just pray this morning that as we, as we gather in this place, as we gather in your name, as we lift our hearts to you, Lord Jesus, that you would hear the words of our mouth that you would help us be united in what we say together so that as a people, we can have the effect of peace in our community.